0: Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday.
1: It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this
0: time. Our host for today's episode is Nathan O'Black.
2: Welcome back to the podcast for cultural reformation. I'm Nathan O'Black and I am as usual joined by Ryan Harris and Dr. Joe Boot. And uh, after three or four weeks of discussing God's law on the podcast, it's good to know that we still have some listeners with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we had to bring we in hope. special guests for that. Yeah, so. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> We've got well, yeah, and, kept it at arm's length. Right. And we'll, we'll, we'll take a, a bit of a step back and cover a, a much less divisive topic this week, politics. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> So something that we're going to uh, talk about just to launch into our conversation today, uh, it's a story out of Parliament Hill uh, in Ottawa earlier this week. But uh, there was a Conservative MP back in February that introduced a bill that would make sex-selective abortion a criminal offence. And Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole uh, had just recently announced this week that he will vote against this bill when it comes up for debate. And uh, here's a clip from Aaron O'Toole's press conference.
3: As you know, I'm, I'm pro-choice, and I will be voting against this private member's bill. Um, I will always, as Prime Minister, defend the, rights, uh, the human rights of all Canadians, including women, to make this decision for themselves. I've been crystal clear on that and will be as Prime Minister. But the one that you're not being crystal clear on is uh, how you'll, uh, whether you'll direct your cabinet, your shadow cabinet, when it comes to this vote. Um, I'm I'm wondering, do you not think that calling yourself pro-choice carries a responsibility to ensure nothing your party does strips the rights of others to make the choices that they decide are best for them? Yes, being pro-choice means I will defend that right, and there will be no law passed that will restrict the rights of of canadians
0: um just
1: following up on the same uh, issue how do you expect canadians to believe your party is
3: inclusive and appeals to women when your party is putting forward bills like this one as i've said um, i'm a pro-choice member of parliament was elected leader of the conservatives in that fashion i will always defend the rights of all canadians and focus on their prosperity that is my relentless focus there is freedom of speech of all members of parliament including with private motions and bills.
2: So this is our conservative representative in Canada, this is our opposition to Justin Trudeau and uh, you know we've mentioned this uh, several times in past episodes but we're really just looking at different shades of red here in this country, red being you know the left side of the political spectrum in Canada. But. I mean, how are we as Christians supposed to think about this current political situation in Canada? Well, the analysis that you've offered,
0: of we've reached a point where we are really looking at shades of red for the political spectrum, is really important for Christians to think about and to ask themselves why. There are, of course, we hear a lot of talk about... um, Social conservatives within the conservative movement and how they're ostracized and marginalized and so on, and in fact that there are even dirty tricks that have gone on to try and ensure that a social conservative isn't uh, elected as leader of the party. But with all that aside, and recognizing that no doubt that goes on and that uh, those things have been have been happening mm. within the conservative party, the reality is is that. Uh, the political spectrum, uh, all across the political spectrum, we see this domination of a egalitarian, equalitarian uh, groupthink Mm. that requires um, an almost totalitarian perspective on politics. And I think in order to understand that, you have to go back to the French Revolution Mm. and... With the because we get our terminology left and right mm-hmm. from the seating positions um, within the uh, French Revolution in the in the House of Government the Estates that's yeah. correct that's correct yes the French Estates whatever they were called uh, and the the drift since that people perhaps don't fully appreciate how significant the French Revolution was in terms of overturning a Uh, broadly Christian perspective of political life being something which is under God. Of course, it doesn't mean that what was in place before the French Revolution was in in Europe was right or uh, completely just. Mm. But there was, prior to that revolution, a recognition that political life is more than uh, a contract between free units, free individuals, Mm -hmm. as a sort of basic unit of uh, uh, political culture of society um that actually um there were individuals with pre-political rights there were families and churches and so forth and these different areas of life were under god uh, and there was a duty to both the past and the future in the way we thought about political life but with the french revolution you had a real br- you had a break with this take place in fact uh, uh Dengarink, in his uh, book, The Idea of Justice, uh, talks about Rousseau Mm. and the significance of uh, Rousseau. And he says, Rousseau emerges with a totalitarian idea of the state. That is to say, an idea of the state as embracing human life in its entirety, in which the so-called democratic majority imposes its all-inclusive will on all of the citizens without exception. You can actually see Mm -hmm. that happening in the O'Toole questioning there. They're pressing him, Mm -hmm. right, for uniformity of perspective. Mm -hmm. And is he going to enforce that uniformity? Mm -hmm. So Dengarink goes on. This notion is completely irreconcilable with Rousseau's original idea of freedom. Mm -hmm. Absolute freedom, absolute equality, and absolute democracy do not appear compatible with each other, end quote. Uh, Now, that was the fundamental crisis for politics post-Rousseau.
1: Not much of a contract. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. The idea is, of course, there that you, the individual, in this contract, surrenders their uh, rights, if mm. you will, to the collective, to the state. And so you have this idea of an all embracing state, an all embracing collective, um, where you're, uh, in the name of the people, this general will gets mm. imposed on everyone. Mm-hmm and when that is left uh, that idea is left unchecked i mean uh, william wilberforce in england and edmund burke recognized the french revolution for what it was they saw it not just as a political movement in france this was about an ideology that intended to spread out and capture the whole earth and uh, they were right uh, that this this idea left unchecked this idea of democracy left unchecked by the sovereignty of god And the law of God and norms established by God for human life uh, lean inevitably trends totalitarian and it pulls to the Mm -hmm. left. So when we have this supposed polarity of left and right, what that really meant was you had the left were those who were absolutely on board with the revolution. Make it happen now. Let's get rid of these traditional institutions these social hierarchies, Mm -hmm. God, God's Mm -hmm. law, the idea of God's sovereignty over human life and culture. Dispense with it now, and if necessary, heads must roll. Mm -hmm. And indeed, they did. Mm -hmm. And then you have the center uh, today, as we look at um, this whole supposed spectrum of left and right. The center uh, are those who are on board also with the revolution, but they think that you need a smiling face. Uh this is the this is the the the, the Joe Biden Trudeau uh, uh revolution although Biden has drifted that much more Bernie Sanders and um mm-hmm. uh Cortez of late um but the 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 idea here is that you're on board with the revolution but you try and present it in the smiling with the smiling face of democracy and equality and justice and so on uh, but it's still very much on board with the agenda. But you do it steadily, you do it gradually. You don't don't be in such a hurry. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to put people off. Mm-hmm. And then you have the supposed right, who are ostensibly are not on board. At least they used not to be on board uh, with the agenda of the revolution. They want to conserve, conserve yeah, something. Right. Mm-hmm. The problem is that without the Christian underpinnings the basis upon which you, what the criteria upon which you would bother to conserve anything is unclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because we inherited a, uh, an institution or a particular idea about political life, like property rights, for example, just because we inherited that idea, why would we conserve that? Mm-hmm. And so the problem, the crisis of conservatism and O'Toole now... Um, is just the living demonstration of it. The crisis of conservatism is without a basis, without an without an honest and clear ideological, religious basis mm-hmm. for the conservation of anything. The so-called right gets pulled further and further toward the left in the direction of the revolution, uh, and this is why and. Christians are often frustrated with it in Canadian politics and in politics in all of the the Anglosphere, really, is that when a conservative government gets in, what happens? Well, nothing much. Yeah. What happens is a break is applied mm-hmm. to the radical mm-hmm. agenda of the, the left, mm-hmm. but there is no um, principled basis yeah. upon which the needle is moved back in the other direction. We never actually see any recovery of a more principled right. uh, conservative perspective, mm. uh, which is, isn't shouldn't be a static worldview, right. by the way. And we That's can talk right. about that in a minute when, when I think we need to talk about the principle of sphere sovereignty. It shouldn't be a static view that says nothing can ever change. Rather, it's the recognition that there is constancy and change. Mm. Um, but there must be a sense of constancy uh, and, and that that's the question for conservatism where do you find the criteria or the Mm -hmm. basis for constancy because we've lost it Mm -hmm. and conservatism in the in the modern west has abandoned it it can only push the pause button and usually in the name of fiscal policy right Mm -hmm. to a radical leftist agenda but it never moves the needle back in the other direction so we never take back any ground so then when the left gets back in you get pulled further to the left. And that's, again, mm. where the right, then the so-called Conservative Party, then starts. It starts from the new position yeah. of the left, mm. and it holds there. That's right. about all it can manage. Mm. And so you can see how, for the last two, 300 years, we've been steadily pulled right. in the direction of the revolution without ever making meaningful headway back in the other direction, except for a brief moment in time. I think you could look at the the prime minister, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, You look at Ronald Reagan in in the US um, and you can see periods there where you had a definitive move back Hmm. in the other, a principled move back in the other direction that was was brief. But those moments have been few and far between. And so now we get to the point where in the UK where David Cameron, former prime minister, when uh, homosexual marriage was uh, declared... Uh, legal, mm-hmm. uh, he said that he he was doing this not not in spite of being a conservative, but because he was a conservative. Don't, so so I am saying that it was a conservative government in Britain that brought that the redefinition of marriage in, not a liberal government, right. and it did it in the name of being conservative. I.e., while we believe in the institution of marriage, so why not expand it? Mm. There's no principled basis, you see. Uh, it's just well, it's just an inherited idea. Why not? Why not meddle with it? And now with O'Toole, he's embarrassed about pro-life people in his own caucus. He wants to shut them down. He wants to shut them up. Mm -hmm. And he himself thinks that the only way to be elected is to be uh, a Mm pro-abortion, a pro-death advocate. Mm -hmm. And that this is necessary. And of course, actually what we're seeing in his polling in terms of his leadership um, and his chances of winning the election is... Mm -hmm. uh, a, stratis- uh, a, a sort of catastrophic mm. uh collapse of interest mm. in his party yeah. and his perspective um, he hasn't got a snowball's chance in hell of winning um, a general election mm-hmm. against Trudeau because people recognize it's just liberal light mm-hmm. it's 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 right. liberal soft yeah mm-hmm. and there is actually no choice here uh, mm-hmm. and, and and that is I think the crisis that you've identified
2: with that mm-hmm. clip mm-hmm yeah, it's right?
1: the it's the choice between Coke and Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: But really, O'Toole, he's simply conserving the current social social principle yeah. here in Canada.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a status quo conservatism. It's right. not it's not an actual movement conservatism. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and and there's uh, there's there's again this this inability. Uh, or at least unwillingness of these politicians to to push back against the general trajectory of the culture. They're just not willing to, at least. Okay, there might be isolated MPs who are, mm-hmm. but in terms of the leadership of the, the the parties in our political spectrum,
2: there's an unwillingness to push back. And some of it, of course, is driven by fear, fear of the revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're really seeing this right now with where we are with Bill C six, uh, the ban on you know supposed conversion therapy that, uh, I believe it was back in October, they had the second reading, and uh, we saw 308 vote for the ban and only seven vote against, and that was only one uh, conservative MP in all of Ontario, Derek Sloan, uh, who actually voted against the ban. Um, Not one other conservative in Ontario voted against it
0: yeah and now some might say well you know they're wanting to get it into committee to make changes but the, the reality is they didn't want to be seen to be opposed to the prevailing ideological re- religion of the time uh, the uh, which is basically this radical equalitarian agenda that wants to level all normative distinctions they want them to to fundamentally disappear Mm. and nobody wants to stand up against that so they'll say well look let's let's make some changes of course we're against electric shock therapy which nobody practices in Canada (laughs) Um, and uh, so so let's let's vote for that and let's Mm -hmm. see the changes in committee and what's happened in committee I'm reliably informed by those who've been involved Uh, it's gotten worse Mm. it's gotten worse Mm -hmm. so this uh, this is a juggernaut mm-hmm. this pull to the left is a juggernaut that especially in the last 10 years and 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 even in the last 2 or 3 seems to have picked up tremendous speed mm-hmm. and of course threatens a radical persecution of christians you can see a harbinger of that in the with the case with the man in bc right now the father in bc who's been jailed mm-hmm. for family yeah. violence mm-hmm. uh, did he assault somebody did he did he shoot somebody with a gun no mm-hmm. he misgendered his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if that isn't a harbinger of of a totalitarian uh, drift of of a totalitarian reality, um, that is a serious warning about things to come. I don't know what is.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, this this just sort of occurs to me as you're talking about it, but maybe we can uh, put this out there and talk talk some more about it. But I ju- I can't see how. For someone who's you know who calls themselves a conservative, who's an elected official, but to vote for something like Bill C six, which we've talked about at length here and elsewhere, uh, how does that not have like as as a man, as mm-hmm. as a as mm-hmm. a person, how does that not have a a dulling effect on your conscience, mm-hmm. and then as an elected official on your conservative sensibilities, on the altar of you know, whatever, whatever sort of pragmatism or playing, f- playing some kind of long game for future influence.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it must. It, mm-hmm. it and you know, it's like the uh, that that process of dulling. You become less and less sensitive. The you know, you almost become desensitized then mm. to th- all of these new proposals. Uh, the 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 more radical the suggestions become it. So it's all, it all seems logically consistent. And the, the more you go along to get along, the easier it is to simply go with the flow. And you hear people say, well, you know, if they try this, then I'll make a stand mm-hmm. and it never happens. Mm-hmm. And, and if it didn't happen on marriage, it's not going to happen on bill C-6. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it won't happen with Bill C seven and whatever other bills they're concocting uh mm-hmm. to, to, to shut down people's basic freedoms and liberties. This you know, Bill C six is is a is an anti-conversion bill. It's not an anti-conversion therapy bill that doesn't even define conversion therapy. Yeah, it's an anti-conversion bill. It mm-hmm. doesn't, it's it's a law against a conversion to a Christian understanding of mm-hmm. reality. That's right. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And many Christians don't recognize it as such. But that is precisely mm-hmm. what that bill uh, represents. Mm-hmm.
2: And there are slightly more radical versions of it, actually, in places like Australia. Mm-hmm. Well, and the willingness of conservatives to confront this bill will be laid plain uh, very soon, as the third and final reading, I believe, is sometime in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's well, <laughs> we find ourselves
0: in the, in the grip... I remember saying this, you know, on a TV show about 10 years ago. And uh, after I said it, I thought, I'm not going to be invited back. And I, <laughs> and Were I you wasn't. invited back? Yeah. I wasn't. Um, I never heard from the lady again. Um, and uh, I I cautioned about the totalitarian drift of the culture. And I could see she was shocked and thought I was out of my mind. Mm. But... Uh, people don't really understand what that represents. You say that word, and they think Lenin, Stalin, mm-hmm. Hitler, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, and so yep. on. They don't see Justin Trudeau, mm-hmm. right? They don't. They don't see, uh, you know, Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, they don't see Joe Biden. Right? What they what they see is these historic examples of authoritarianism. But the but as, we, as I, sh- I showed with respect to Rousseau, uh, the totalitarianism essentially means that the other aspects of life uh, outside of the, of the state, outside of politics, are, are um, seen are in parts to whole relationship with the state. So instead of recognizing pre-political institutions like marriage and the family, and, uh, the church instead of instead of recognizing uh the sphere sovereignty as a principle we talk about a lot of these other areas of life there the modern politics wants to relate to these areas of life in this parts the whole fashion it's the absorbing it's the swallowing of these other areas of life as though they are departments of state the the there are parts of the state that they're called provinces and municipalities and and so on within a given territory. It's a public right. legal order. It's a territory. There are parts to a legal order in a given territory. We call them in Canada provinces and municipalities. Those are the parts of the state. But just because my family resides and my church happens to be within that territory ter- territory does not make it a part of the state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make it subservient to or a lesser part of the state. Now, people were slow to recognize it with things like the redefinition of marriage. With things like uh, um, abortion, no fault divorce, um, uh, the the uh, issues of gender and identity, the redefinition now of, of of human identity, that with all of these things, and even actually I would say now with the with the um, indefinite restrictions and lockdowns on mm-hmm. places of worship mm-hmm. and so on, all of these things are a manifestation of the fact that the modern Modern political life, the modern state is repaganizing. It sees all of these areas of life: education, medicine. Think about it with Bill C7, with the curtailing the ending of people's life, turning Mm -hmm. state functionaries into executioners. Uh, When the state controls medicine and and can fund the surgery, transgender surgery funds the abortions and so on, controls Mm -hmm. denies doctors their conscience rights, which is what Bill C7 means, by the way. Uh the all of these things are indicative of the state leviathan believing that all of these other areas of life are under its direct control they are lesser parts of the state that's what totalitarianism means mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you've necessarily got some vicious overtly vicious dictator throwing people in the gulag or trudeau's hotel quarantine right what, it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you necessarily see the jackboots marching up and down mm-hmm. uh, you know Queen's Park it means that the state is gradually and steadily bringing all areas of life under mm-hmm. its total control mm-hmm. that's what totalitarianism means and that is presently what our culture is in the grip of and contemporary conservatism seems powerless to resist it you have to go back to the Greeks to the Greek polis to to the uh, to both Plato and Aristotle to see that this was the pagan vision of the state there were no areas of freedom outside of the state there was no sphere of law that was independent from the absolute law of the state uh, for for um, for the Greeks who were perhaps the first uh, people to um, at least put down in writing their scientific critical reflections, philosophical reflections on the nature of society. They, they did not see an area of freedom because yep. they had no sovereign God over them. Mm-hmm. They had no Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and an independent church and independent spheres of law uh, that could assert freedom from the total state. And that's why what, what makes Israel stand out in the Old Testament. What makes the nation of Israel so unique uh, in Scripture is its distinction from the pagan empires, whether it was the Egyptian or the Babylonian or the Persian uh, or the Roman, eventually. These were absolutist power states. They were totalitarian. And there you have Israel, uh, this nation-state established by God, uh, with the Bible as its constitution And a sovereign God who is Lord and King. And the kings are told, go study the law Mm -hmm. and learn it. Because that's the only way to give justice to the people. The king was under the law. There wasn't an absolute state that could just say, well, you know, we're going to redefine this and redefine that and and redefine um, life and so on at will and then impose it. Uh, There was the priesthood, which was separated from kingship. King Saul lost the kingdom for his presumption to act as a priest and a king. There was a there was a basic and fundamental separation of powers there, and the King of Israel was God himself, and the king was to study the law and be subject to it. And uh, we're increasingly seeing that not only are our, do our politicians see themselves as essentially above law, our courts think they are as well. Mm-hmm. We see our charter as a living thing, where j- activist judges who have their own totalitarian ideological agenda, just start uh, with the stroke of a pen destroying our inherited rights and freedoms uh, and it's done in the name of the constitution mm-hmm. in these situations uh, we all know we've been browbeaten by the charter since 82 as, as, as Christians it's a, it's a tragic example of what we're talking about so uh, the, the Christian, the biblical distinctive of God's sovereignty and God, as the giver of law, um, is and and the biblical concept of the kingdom of God is absolutely fundamental to any ability in in the modern age for us to push back against the totalitarianism that's now on on increasing display.
1: I was just reading uh, recently that it was it was Mussolini, the first or the, the earliest twentieth-century modern totalitarian who articulated that uh, that vision again for for our times and he said you know um let me say nothing outside the state nothing above the state
0: mm-hmm. yeah and th- there is only one <laughs> the interesting thing is that there is we, we, we are seeing now in the development of modern political life that the toolbox if i can say that without all the toolbox is empty right? Uh, the there There is no basis upon which to resist that notion without the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Forget a free press and the media. What right. a joke. Right. People think, oh, the bastion of liberty is a free press. What free press are you referring to? The state media that we have today, the way that all the questions directed at O'Toole there were... Were, were targeted and driven towards pressing him to a particular conclusion, lest he be damned for his heresy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the only f- foundation for freedom that is conceivable uh, and what ultimately birthed freedom in the Western world was the lordship of Jesus Christ and uh, the biblical idea of the kingdom of God. Let me... Um, let me uh, quote, uh, I don't know whether I've quoted this before, I may have, because it's one of my favorite books, The Christian Idea of the State, Hermann Dauwerd. Uh Never heard of him. Never heard of him? <laughs> I'll introduce you to him. His, um, here's something that he says. He says, we, we see here that Christianity proclaims a total rule of God opposed to the pagan idea of the total state as light is opposed to darkness. Paganism, unable to transcend time, seeks a last and highest temporal bond of which all other societal relationships can be no more than dependent parts. Mm. That's the point I was making. He goes on. Christianity does not place a temporal church institute above the state as an ultimate bond, but in, but in Christ it looks beyond time toward the total theocracy the invisible church of christ here all temporal societal relationships are rooted and grounded and each of these after its own divine structure and god-given law must be an expression be it an imperfect one of that invisible kingdom of god this basic christian idea of the kingdom of god is the only possible ground for the christian idea of the state and uh in that sort of powerful summary you see what he's saying is that uh if the state is viewed as the ultimate integrating principle then of course Mm -hmm. what's happening in our culture nathan it's completely Mm -hmm. logical Mm -hmm. the state is the kingdom right if the city of man is the kingdom the the, the state is the source of law Mm. it's the source of all authority it must be the integrating principle for all of life it must be the bond That holds everything together. It's only Christianity that says no. It is not the state that is the bond that holds. It's only biblical faith that that draws a line in the sand there and says no. The biblical principle isn't actually the church. Maybe we can come to that in just a moment. uh, Where some people think, oh, listen, even Doyverd used that boogeyman word, theocracy. Mm -hmm, Terrible. mm -hmm, What a terrifying mm -hmm, idea. mm -hmm. Uh, Where he says no, it's actually Christ and his kingdom that is the only possible basis the rule of christ amongst his people in the earth that is the the basis of the christian idea of a state with a delimited and limited task just as the church and the family and the school and so on have a limited task uh that it's only the lordship of christ over these diverse areas of life that guarantees us freedom Mm -hmm. that gives us a fundamentally Christian idea of the state. Without Christ and that transcendent source of law mm-hmm. and transcendent authority, we have no recourse. There is no recourse, but the absolute authority and totalitarian power of the state. There is no basis for resistance to it. With, without Christ and his lordship, we are bound to the idea of an absolutist state hmm. that that is what we are actually seeing you know the the, the sort of energy i don 't know what the right word is is it kinetic energy or we, we were kind of living in sort of with um, with the idea of liberal democracy off these Christian foundations mm-hmm. for a long time mm-hmm. but f- we almost have reached it seems now in our cultural moment a tipping point where the Christian foundation has eroded to such a degree. We've talked with Jonathan Burnside in recent weeks about the indirect interaction with biblical law, the repealing of biblical law, the fact that uh, the language of the Bible still informs our political discourse. But we've reached this tipping point with respect to it so that now there seems to be not enough of that energy left in our social order to preserve the freedoms that we have historically enjoyed. And now there is this, there is this increasingly obvious um, snarling face, or even smiling face, most of the time of totalitarianism.
2: Mm. So, Joe, with uh, that sad state of conservatism that we're in right now, and this totalitarian drift, um, I'm just thinking, you know, what what are we to do as uh, as Christians in Canada? Uh, how are we to respond to this? It sometimes seems as if there's, there's not much hope. Well, first of
0: all, I think it's important to remember that uh, God is still on the throne, that uh, when God is judging a culture um, and a society, he's sweeping it aside to replace it with something else. When I think about political life, I'm always reminded of that amazing account of Nebuchadnezzar, um in daniel daniel chapter 4 uh and the conversion if you will of nebuchadnezzar mm. that leader of the of that incre- um, incredible pagan empire um and the scripture says in daniel 4 35 when nebuchadnezzar's sense kind of returned to him He says, Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? And then he goes on and says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the King of heaven because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Mm -hmm. And we are a culture that's walking in pride and is being humbled. And uh, Mm -hmm. whilst it is very difficult to live through, Mm -hmm. um, it is something ultimately to to be welcomed and Christ is on the throne. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Uh, it's going to last forever and the inhabitants of the earth cannot resist the will and the judgments of God. I mean that is the unequivocal declaration of scripture um, and of course that's, uh, that's reasserted all the way through the Psalms that this is who um, God is. So I think the starting point is to remember who it is that we serve. Mm. That's really important, mm. and then I think what needs to happen is we need to recover our nerve as a church mm. because this has to start with the people of God now i've made clear I hope i've said what well, I said in passing at least that you know one of the reasons people become nervous when you start to talk about well what needs to be done uh, how do we respond and then and you hear words like theocracy that uh, doiverard is using people start trembling in their boots mm. um and they start thinking of a church denomination governing and ruling over the state. Yeah. And uh, you have theologians tweeting about, uh, you know, Baptists trembling before the Presbyterian theocrats <laughs> who might force them into a a Presbyterian mold or whatever.
1: You think you think the Presbyterians would would win if it came to that?
0: <laughs> who knows. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to take bets on that scrap, as you know we're non-sectarian on the baptism issue. Everyone, so uh, the uh, the but the idea that the, 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 the let's just refute to say that the response is not that um, we have to reintroduce some kind of unified ecclesiastical culture that you that you, some denomination needs to be. Uh, uh, embraced as the source of all orthodoxy and sovereignty, and then placed over the the life of the state. Doyevred says in, in in this book, uh, "Christian uh, the Christian idea of the state." He says the notion that the Christian state must recognize a certain denomination as state church, or at least as the only true church, or that the Christian state must lend to a certain creed as alone true the status of official legal authority, essentially stems from the old conception of Roman Scholasticism which ascribes the totality of all temporal revelation of the body of Christ to just such a temporal church institute, end quote. And that, of course, is the opposite mistake, is to say, well, it's not the state that has to rule over all, it's the church, um, rather than recognizing that actually the lordship of Jesus Christ is, over every aspect of life, all the spheres of life, in their specifically delimited roles. And the the limits of each sphere... Uh, are determined by, of course, the sphere sovereignty of the others. So the family and the church and the state as is, is three aspects that we can talk about simply um, d- limit one another. And so we as a church, Nathan, I think the first step is we have to recover a biblical vision of theocracy. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> the reason I say a biblical vision is that every state, mm-hmm. every political order is a theocracy.
1: Yeah, the totalitarian state that you've been describing is no less a theocracy than anything we could cook up. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Oh, did, mm-hmm. I just, did I cut the punchline you, you, there? You, you just, <laughs> <you> just robbed <laughs> rob my punchline. I, that was a right hook I was going to finish oh. with. Uh, but that's precisely the point, is that in because government rests on a claim to authority, I mean, what is the basis of government's claim, civil government's claim to authority? Well, it rests on an idea of sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Sovereignty is either going to be absolute state sovereignty, sovereignty of the people or sovereignty of God. Vox populi vox dei, the voice of the people is the voice of God, in that kind of radical democracy that there, there you have an idea of power and authority. So it all depends on which god you believe in. That's all. Mm. Every political order whether it's Islamic, secular, Christian is a theocracy based on an idea of sovereignty and authority which refers us back to a source of law and a divinity concept. So we've always lived in a theocracy. It's just whether Mm -hmm. you live in a theocracy of the living God or a false God, that's your choice. Mm -hmm. So that's what we mean by it. Mm. Uh, We don't mean ecclesiocracy. We mean that it's the recognition Mm. that we must live under the authority of the living God and his law word. And uh, this for us means freedom. It means liberty. It provides the most expansive idea of freedom known in the history of man that Jesus Christ is Lord, that his gospel uh, transforms hearts, and that his law maximizes freedom. And that's we've often quoted, I think, G.K. Chesterton's famous uh, Mm -hmm. quip, you know, you either live by the Ten Commandments or the Ten Thousand Commandments. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally, the church needs to recover the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and King and start to work out a distinctly Christian political philosophy that rests upon the fundamental claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And as we've said, that means that in the family, in our marriages, in the church, in our vocations, in these different areas of life, we inculcate, we teach, as Jesus said himself in Matthew 28, the nations, to observe everything he has commanded. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. See, Jesus said, all authority. He didn't say, authority in the church has mm-hmm. been given to me. <laughs> he didn't say, authority in the business has been given to me. Authority in the family has been given. Authority in the individual's heart has mm-hmm. been given to me. No, he says, all authority has been given to me. Where? in heaven and in earth. Well, what does that leave out? Hmm. Is there another part of creation you're aware of? Uh, Ryan, no. <laughs> no, all authority. This was his this is the fundamental claim of Christ that sends us out then in terms of that kingdom principle to teach the nations everything hmm. that God has commanded the totality of his word. And let's remember that for Jesus Christ himself, that meant you combated Satan with the law of God. When he went into the wilderness and was driven into the wilderness and was tempted of the devil, he wasn't quoting Cicero, Plato, Thomas Aquinas, or dare I say, even Doivert, right? (laughs) He was... (laughs) Careful. He he was quoting Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. He defeated Satan with the word of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the, those are the commandments that he would have us teach the nations. And this is what was required of Israel in its missiological calling to be a light to the nations. I think it's Deuteronomy four, uh, that it was to be a model to all of the nations. So in every area of our lives, it's not just in the life of the church, but in every every area of our lives, we bring them into subjection to the total King. In that sense, The Christ is totalitarian in the sense that his kingdom swallows every area of life, Mm -hmm. right? But it's trans, it's a transcendent kingdom that impacts the direction of every structure within creation, and we're called to bring those into subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's Mm -hmm. the glory and the beauty, the marvel, the majesty of what it means to be a Christian. That I've been redeemed by the death resurrection, ascension, and session of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now at the right hand of all power and authority. Revelation 1.5 says he is today the ruler of the kings of the earth, that I have the privilege of being his servant, of being given a ministry of reconciliation. So whether I'm a lawyer practicing law or a doctor in medicine Mm -hmm. or a teacher in the school or a restaurant owner in business, or a politician in the corridors of power, or a judge on the judge's bench. I am bringing to bear the reality of God's word and the lordship of Jesus Christ, mm. that I am obligated to serve the Lord in that era, and of course the church also. Now, if we could only start there, Nathan, mm-hmm. if we could only just get that right again, mm-hmm. then uh, it would make an incredible difference in politics. Let me just quote somebody that, is underquoted on this issue, although he's deeply appreciated by most evangelicals. And that's Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he actually said this with respect to being under the absolute sovereignty of God and his law. He says, I long for the day, I'm quoting now, I long for the day when the precepts of the Christian religion shall be the rule among all classes of men and all transactions. I often hear it said, do not bring religion into politics. Mm. This is precisely where it ought to be brought mm-hmm. and set there in the face of all men as on a candlestick. I would have the cabinet and members of parliament to do the work of the nation as before the Lord, end quote. Mm. And in his uh, remarkable manifesto, he asks a series of questions about their rhetorical. You know, Since when was government, a uh, civil government, ever excused from its obligation to the law of God. Hmm. Uh, uh, It's a very uh, powerful discussion. Actually, if people want to look at that, my book, Mission of God, they can look at pages 308, 309, uh, and they can find all the references to to Spurgeon there. But if we could just get back to what Spurgeon understood there about the obligations of the Christian and of the pastor in his own pulpit, to bring to imagine if imagine if just the evangelical pulpits in this country brought the word of God to bear uh, regularly over political life, Bill C six, Bill C seven, the abortion issue, mm. uh, the, the uh, redefinition of marriage issues, um, the lordship of Jesus Christ over all of life. If we just preached that and brought. That, that that reality to bear over cult- the cultural life of our nation. Imagine the impact we would actually start to have. So this is actually where we begin. You know, the work of transformation. People almost think, you know, these uh, these radical transformationists, these dominionists. They're there. They want to find their guy and then establish him as president or prime minister to impose uh, the theocratic order upon the nation. Well. They think that way because that's actually what they believe about politics, that it's totalitarian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, the the uh, the missing sentence at the end of that was,
1: so we got to get there first. Exactly. Yeah, right.
0: Mm-hmm. So why don't mm-hmm. we beat them to the punch, mm-hmm. put our guy there, and then get to impose... Our no, that's never been the way. This transformation happens in church basements, mm-hmm. around family breakfast tables. Uh in the uh, discussions in the, in, in, uh, over the water cooler uh, at mm-hmm. work, and, of course, in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we seek to apply these things in our, in our vocational lives, this, this is where the work happens. And, of course, that includes politics, as those who are called into that realm uh, seek to faithfully apply biblical principles, sphere sovereignty, to uh, their calling and their mandate. So I think that's the beginning of where we push back. Too often Christians want a quick policy uh, description, right? They want, what are you going to do? What's the policy? Well, why don't we start with the most basic fundamental policy that we reject the totalitarian politics of our era Mm -hmm. and we embrace the lordship of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and what the word of God says Mm -hmm. about submission to his word. If we just start there, it's like Mm -hmm. leaven through a loaf. It's like the mustard seed. You look at it right now, it looks, Nathan, like a small puff of wind would blow away what's left of the gospel of the kingdom in Mm -hmm. Canada today. But Christ says that's exactly what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a mustard seed, and it can grow to become the tallest plant in the garden. The kingdom, when we're faithful to it, is like leaven that permeates the loaf. So is God judging our culture in our time? Sure he is. Uh, He's sweeping it aside. But he's, that means he's going to replace it with something new. So do we want to be the stump with which God is working, as he mm. always has with a remnant of faithful people who say no to the total state and the pagan idea of, the, of divinity and yes to the Lord Jesus Christ? Mm. And that is, that is implicit in the gospel. These are the implications for political life of the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah, great. Thanks, Joe. That's a a great place to wrap up our conversation for today. Uh, If you'd like to read more on this topic, uh, we're soon going to be releasing Joe's latest book from Ezra Press called For Politics. And you could also pick up Joe's book, Gospel Culture, or another book from one of our fellows, Willem O'Neill, called Power in Service. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation, reminding you that from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory.
1: It's passed down as a prophecy Every year about this time